realizing that I can't dwell on these mistakes, but if I can take them, if I can make them learning experiences and I can help others, that's leading. Welcome to the Crucible Project podcast. The Crucible Project is a nonprofit organization committed to creating a world of men and women who live with integrity, grace, and courage, helping them to fulfill their God-given purpose. This podcast will discuss important and sometimes difficult topics while delivering practical life applications with men and women who are currently practicing this work. We are igniting Christ-like change in men and women through experiences of radical honesty and grace. Hello, everyone. This is the Crucible Project podcast, and I'm your host today, Tim Rush, and I am joined by James Damey, leader extraordinaire. We're talking today about leadership uh, largely because I want to be a better leader, and I thought that this would be a good way uh, for my own growth, and so you're welcome to come along for the journey, and I hope that uh, you can get something out of this too. So, so James, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, where are you coming from? What do you do? Yeah. Hey, Tim, thanks for having me on today. Um, man, I, uh, I'm a leader, uh, with a organization that pretty much pours into other leaders. We, we disciple leaders and, um, I love doing it. I've been a worship leader for 27 years and just stepped out of that role in the church you step into this role in mentoring and coaching. And so, yeah, uh, it, the organization I'm a part of is called Next Level Worship International. And uh, that's what we do. It's kind of like there's uh, evangelism. Um, that's a tier. And there's mentoring uh, lay or lay workers or volunteers. That's another level. But we, we're on that third tier where we uh, mentor the leaders. And oh, it's, it really is good work. That, that sounds like exponential leadership when you are leading other leaders. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very humbling. <laughs> well, yeah, I bet. So, James, with your leadership journey, at, at what point were you young when you knew people follow me? Like, how did you know that you were a leader? Oh, sure. Well, at first I didn't know. Um, so I grew up uh, I, as a worship leader. Um, I started at 15 in my dad's church at the age of 15. My dad said, I see this in you. Um, I had kind of a neat moment at a camp um, where I felt that God was saying, this is what I want you to do with your life. And that's not what people around me were saying. They were all saying, you're going to be a great preacher, just like your dad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's, I knew that wasn't my calling. And so stepping into that different kind of identity and purpose, I had to step out of everybody else's expectations. And so that was the first leadership I ever did was for myself, to leave myself out of that um, and step into this. And so as I stepped into it, I I actually made so many mistakes. And there's <laughs> there's a funny story. It was this about halfway through the first year of leading worship at our small church in Westminster, Colorado, that my dad called me into his office halfway through the week. And he said, you're doing great, but I need you to know something happened this week. And the whole deaf ministry left. So we had about 20 people in our deaf ministry and a signer, and they were committed to our church. And he said, they all left. And I said, well, what happened? And he said that they said it was because the music was too loud. <laughs> How crazy. And I said, well, how do they know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but he said, yeah, they said through the vibrations or whatever, that it was just 
it was just uh, distracting Too for much. them. So they <laughs> and went to a whole other. So that was my first conflict as a oh, worship man. leader. And, and that is when I finally understood, okay, this is leadership because yeah. I had to carry that weight that, you know, 20, 21 people left our wow. church because of something that I, I either didn't do or I did do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and how old were you? Tell me again, how old were you when this happened? So I was, I was about 16 then. Oh my goodness. That's, that's a heavy weight for a 16 year old. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it was, um, I mean, I, I remember and take each of these steps, you know, it's gotta be a learning experience for us. If you you truly consider yourself a leader, then there should be a freedom to make mistakes, right? Uh, Leadership and fellowship should be able to make mistakes and turn around and just learn from them, you know, become better. So I want to go back to that first step of leading yourself, because that seems like such a risky step to to have spoken into you. This will be your identity. This is what you're going to do. And uh, you're going to be just like your dad. And you decided, no, that's not my vision. So how did that feel risky to you? How did you lead yourself to take that step? Oh, completely. It, it, it definitely was risky. And, um, I, I gotta say it was, it was my relationship with Christ specifically that gave me that confidence to step Uh, into that identity. Um, I was not ready. I can tell you right now, I was not ready to be in leadership 15 years old. I was just really trying to play a role that I saw other people playing. So I had to start with that. And, uh, and I was not good. I can tell you, I was not good. Um, I've got, I've got so many memories that are just flooding back of, of mistakes that I made, but also first mistakes that I made, you know, it was the first time I made them. Um, but I had the leadership part for myself came into realizing that I can't dwell on these mistakes, but if I can take them, if I can make them learning experiences and I can help others, that's leading. You know, it's, it's just, they say leadership is going before everyone else, you know, walking the road alone before everybody else. And so you're not a leader if you just make mistakes, but you're a leader when you turn around and help somebody else who's about to make the the same mistake or who's already made that mistake and you can help them along. That's, that's when you become a leader. Yeah. So, so my next question was going to be, so how did you keep going? But I feel like you, you answered that question before I got there. You no. <laughs> um, the kept going um, part was twofold. First of all, for me, I really felt a leading that this is what God wanted me to do. Yeah. That's where my confidence came from. It wasn't in who I am or my skills or my talent as a 15, 16 year old. That, <laughs> it wasn't there. But my confidence came in fully because um, I trusted that this was what God wanted me to do, which at that time, worship leadership, uh, not popular. It wasn't a career field. There was no edu- higher education for it. It it was it's it wasn't there, and so you say even today you say I'm a worship leader and people go cool that sounds interesting I don't know what that is, but um, unless they're um, you know kind of heavy heavily into the church the majority of people out there at restaurants that you talk to and <laughs> just walk in the street talking to people they're not going to know what a worship leader or pastor is. 
And so that's, that's where it all came from was just trusting God that I heard him and he called me to that. Yeah. That sounds like not just leadership, like that's trailblazing and pioneer and taking on something that other people aren't even seeing yet to, to follow you down that road. It really did feel like that. Absolutely. Um, and, and of course, when, uh, years later, when I got married, my wife was extremely supportive and, uh, yeah. So obviously the, the, it's not a heavy comp heavily compensated trade. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, pastors even get paid better than worship leaders. And so <laughs> you can kind of imagine yeah. <laughs> uh, what it was like as a young married couple, always bivocational, trivocational. <laughs> Yeah, so so if you could go back and talk to that sixteen-year-old, um, what what would you tell him, sixteen-year-old uh, James? Boy, you do this well. Wow, that's quite a question, Tim. It would be you care well, mm. um, because that is the most that that has to be the motivation of a leader. It can't be to produce something. That's a manager. It can't be to just pull something out of people that they can have or use. A leader has to start with care. Um, and especially in the church, I'd say, um, a leader has to start with care. Um, it, it doesn't end well in any situation if the leadership starts with what can I get from you? And that's, that's what I think I did well is I realized my uh, immaturity. I realized um, that I, I only had really one talent and that was music. Um, and, <laughs> And uh, that's that a big it, talent, by the way. Well, Those of us you, that don't you, have you. it are, are on the sidelines jealous. So, oh no, <laughs> yeah, but but it, it all shies to the idea of, of care. Yeah. And, and I cared about people as a kid, I just cared about people. So, how has that evolved? That being a caring leader, what does that look like today as you're caring for? the leaders that you're training. Oh yeah. Well, the the funny thing is it's so similar. It's so similar because if you take a business mindset to what we're doing, we we could make some money just by getting in to the church, um giving them some some tips, some habits, getting out, collecting a check. But that doesn't ever correspond with growth for the leader or or for the person or for the team. You know, um where it comes from is, uh, and how it corresponds really is about the prayer aspect of it, partnering with people, showing them that, you know, we really are so similar, every single one of us. And we start every day, a lot of time by doubting ourselves, by feeling not enough, by feeling unworthy of what we have to step into in just an hour, you know, getting ready, getting out of the house, getting to where we're supposed to, supposed to be and lead and train and guide all those, all those words about what we actually do throughout the day. But, uh, what, what it comes down to is building relationships. And that's, that's where the care comes in is one of, one of the things that I, I so respect about our CEO, uh, Dwayne Moore is that he remembers people's names. Um, yes. he could just meet you. He did this the other week. Uh, we were in Indiana and we were doing a conference and we just met at uh, the worship pastor's house to kind of have a time of prayer, devotion and um, worship before the next day, the full conference that we did. 
And uh, we were there for about 10 minutes, mingling, saying hi to people. And we sat down for the devotion time. And he went around the whole room and said everybody's name. And I, my jaw dropped because I, I met maybe five of the people, but there were 30 people there. And he remembered each one of their names, even the baby. <laughs> uh, the baby. Now, I remember that name, too, because the baby's name was Thor. And that was now you're going to cool, remember Thor, baby <laughs> Thor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we talk a lot in our crucible communities about that part of ourselves that in all honesty, we wish we could hide. Even from ourselves, we want to pretend like that part doesn't exist, that that's our natural go-to. But with Crucible, we learn to accept that part of ourselves and care for that part of ourselves. Um, so where do you see that showing up in your leadership where you're taking care of the part of you that that you don't want other people to see, but you know this is what's true about James Damey, and it, it's got to be a part of who you are. Yeah. Um, so that, that part of me, it's funny, we just talked about this in our family devotions this morning. So it's, it's kind of right on the tip of my brain. Um, I think God does that sometimes for us <laughs> when we don't know what's going on. But um, for me, it's that part that if I fail, if I make too many mistakes and I fail, um, it's, it's going to make me unlovable. It's going to make me unwanted. And uh and coming off of a specific uh, instance in my life, that that was a very real struggle that I had to face every day is that I failed and my life had to change because I failed. And, uh, and that, that was hard for me, you know? Um, and that's the part that, that I, that's not pretty um, that James thinks if he fails that he's not gonna be loved, you know? But it's not like we come up with these things. These are things that are impressed, imprinted on us at some point in our lives. And I'm not going to pretend to know the the one or 500 instances that created that in me, but um, it's the surrounding with support that I think helps. Um, and it's it's meeting with the Tim Rushes and um, the leadership at Crucible that that really helps you to see that it's you're worth more than than just that that limit, that expectation. Um, or I guess it's a reaction because it's not something you have to contemplate. It's not something that you have to create. It just happens in your life, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm super curious about that event when you're 16 and your dad pulls you aside and says, hey, this is happening. Was he aware? Because I can imagine as a pastor, he's carrying the weight of I did something wrong. And because of that, these people are leaving and he's sharing with you, this is what's happened. This is why they're going. Did he know to take care of 16-year-old James or were you on your own taking care of yourself there? Absolutely, he did not. <laughs> so, and absolutely, I was not. Um, again, I didn't yeah. know this part of me. Um, he didn't know this part of me. And the thing I've learned from my dad um, is that... Uh, a, a lot of times, and, and the things I've learned from Crucible too, um, is that um, a lot of times we're just moving along with our hurt. Um, it, it, yeah. was, it wasn't until Crucible I realized all of the baggage that I was carrying 
you know, just walking around with. And it came out in every conversation. It came out in every phone call, every issue that happened. It just came out all over people. And it was horrible um, that, uh, like you said, that that person that we, we don't want to show other people, um, we're going to show other people when we're at our worst. And so, no, my, my dad definitely didn't, didn't know that. I didn't know that about me. But honestly, it was through that that I, I did learn a lesson that I can care for people. Um, but at some point, people are going to do what they're going to do. And that might have been the reason that was told. But there could have been five or six reasons to get to the heart of why. And we'll never know that why. Um, and so we can't let that sideline us as leaders because sometimes we will never know the why. I, I feel really tender for the 16-year-old you uh, that's stepping into leadership and finds out people are walking away. Because uh, I've got my own messages that automatically start running for me in that scenario. Yeah, so I, I honor you for continuing on and leading yourself through that uh, I, I think it's an amazing journey. Oh, thank you, Tim. And, and you know, it helped develop me in the, the next decades of, of leading worship. It really helped me um, to keep better relationships and communication open between people, you know, um, to yeah. understand that the congregation isn't just people that are there to be entertained, um, you know, in a church setting. Um, that the people I lead aren't there just to get something from me. They're people that I need to develop relationships with also and know what's going on in their lives. Um, so it really helped bolster that idea in me that I need to be more proactive in knowing people first um, instead of just doing a job. So what you're saying is it wasn't wasted. Oh, no, the... uh -uh, not at all. No, it, it and it's something that continually comes to mind. Um, not that specific situation, yeah. but but over the years, all the different situations that I forgot who I was working with, and started focusing on what I'm doing, um, and that you know that that loss of focus is what helped me understand that I need I need to I need to be more proactive at that. Thanks, James. I. Uh... Yeah, so I, I think of myself as a reluctant leader, um, and I'm jealous of of the guys that I see that the story I tell myself is that they do this naturally. And uh, if I were smarter or if I were more like them, then I could do it too. Uh, but listening to your story, I, I'm reminded, oh, these hurdles, these obstacles in the road, they are obstacles to go over and they have value to to the next generation they and they have value to to what i'm doing so thank you oh, thank you absolutely for brother but yeah the only thing natural is our humanity and so <laughs> and that's where all of our mistakes come from so, <laughs> so yeah getting above that <laughs> to the supernatural that's where we can make impact and, and you're right it takes intentionality to get there for everybody well, thank you very much. Thanks, James. Uh, so you've been listening to the Crucible Project podcast with James Damey. And thank you for your leadership. And thank you for the grind of leading yourself uh, so that you can bless other men and women. Uh, we are blessed because you stick with it. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Tim. And it was great to be on this podcast with you. For more information about our weekends, please go to thecrucibleproject.org. 
You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Rate and review wherever you are listening and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Also, don't forget to check out MyJourney2.com for your free two-week trial. That's MyJourneyTo.com. Thank you for listening.